Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brand. Margaret Johnson started her career at the bottom of the totem pole at San Francisco-based creative agency, Goodby Silverstein & Partners. 25 years later, she's running the creative department as chief creative officer. Johnson rose to the top with persistence and hard work, but also by building her own brand, advice she gives to younger female employees looking to make a name for themselves in the business. She's led Goodby's creative team as it's made award-winning Super Bowl spots for brands like Sam Adams and Doritos, all the way through using AI to recreate people's dreams for the Dolly Museum. In this episode, Johnson talks about her career, how she brings others along for the ride, and how innovation is reshaping the work the agency does. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, the editor of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Margaret. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. I am excited to chat with you today. Um, I've had good be on the mind this week, as I was just telling you, because I spoke with uh, Jeff Goodby of the the eponymous <laughs> agency <laughs> founder uh, yesterday. So tell me a little bit, you've been at Goodby for 25 years, right? Which is a long time to be a one agency. So tell me about how like your journey there, you know, what's changed over time? Uh, my journey is kind of an interesting story, actually, because when I was a kid putting my portfolio together, there was an art director named Jeremy Poster who I really loved his style. And um, he happened to work here at Goodby Silverstein. And um, I would try to make everything that, that I did look like his work. And when I got out of, um, I was at the Portfolio Center in Atlanta at the time, putting a portfolio together. And when it was time for me to graduate, I sent my portfolio to Jeremy. And as luck would have it, he hired me <laughs> to, uh, to come work for him. He was working at a different agency at that time um, called Leonard Monahan, Lou Bars and Kelly in Providence, Rhode Island. But uh, no surprise, he liked my book because it looked exactly like his book. <laughs> anyway, so that's kind of how I first discovered this place and um, really always wanted to to work here. So anyway, that's a little funny backstory. But I started at the bottom here and uh, just over time have just worked on pretty much every client in the building and worked my way up. And now I am the chief creative officer. Yeah, that's amazing. So talk about what that was like for you as a as a female kind of starting at the bottom, working your way to the top. Like, how did you do it? I think a lot of a lot of women in the creative field want to know, like, how do you kind of persevere until you, you know, reach that highest level? You know, I think for me, historically, I, you know, started out being a real worker bee and I would be here until 10 o'clock every single night, head down. Um, Wasn't really the kind of person who would ask for help because I felt like I could just, you know, do it better myself. (laughs) And then I later learned that that's not the most efficient way, efficient way to work. But um, I don't know. I think things really came into focus when I had my first child and I went away for maternity leave and, um, there were a couple of, <laughs> of male creatives who leapfrogged me during that time. And it really pissed me off. And, um, cause I felt like, you know what, I'm, I'm better than those guys. And now they've moved ahead. And so it just kind of, uh, dawned on me that I really had to be better about advocating for myself 
And that's something that I've tried to, to teach other women um, as I've learned it <laughs> the hard way. Yes. So how did you advocate for yourself? Like, because I think that happens to a lot of women, right? They go off, they have kids and then they realize, oh, I'm behind now. Um, so what, what, did it t- what did you do to sort of get yourself back in the mix? Well, it's funny. When I was away on maternity leave, I met a, um, I met with a recruiter and she was, you know, trying to get me interested in taking a job at a couple of other places. And during that breakfast, I remember she was getting, um, more and more agitated because I think she could feel that I wasn't really interested in any of the, the jobs that, that she had to offer. And, uh, so she finally got so frustrated. She's like, you know what your problem is? You don't have a brand. And it was kind of a, a gut punch at the time, but it was so true. And I think and my lucky stars that I had that breakfast with her, her name was Trish Shortell. Um, and she, from that point forward was really, you know, a mentor for me in my career. Cause she, she really just, she was one of those people that just says it like it is. Mm-hmm. And I really needed to hear that at the time because she, you know, she went on to say, look, you are, uh, way more talented than a lot of creatives that I meet, but no one knows who you are. So it was a, a moment where I realized, okay, I've got to, you know, get it together. I have to, to really create a brand for myself and get out there and do podcasts or do interviews or judge award shows or, you know, write a thought piece, like just, you know, making the industry, you know, pay attention and know who you are. Mm -hmm. Do you find that like often it is easier for men to kind of do that for themselves, right? Like as a woman, is it harder to sort of like put yourself out there or just like you hadn't been focused on it? I hadn't really been focused on it. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of times women can be a little more head down worker bee like, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I try to tell other women in, in my department that, you know, you gotta, you gotta speak up the squeaky wheel. You gotta be the squeaky wheel. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little. Cause I know like you've been a big proponent, proponent of um, putting your, with a, particularly females on your creative team up for awards and things like that. I think we have like four women from Good Be on our inspiring women list, which is super exciting. Um, So yeah, talk about like sort of paying it forward and how you think about that. You know, I think it's really about creating an environment where people, you know, feel like they can, can do well and where they feel, you know, like they can be heard. And so I try to create that, environment in our creative department. Mm -hmm. Most of our CDs, female CDs have been here over 10 years. So I think we've, we've managed to to do a pretty good job. Yeah. I mean, it seems like people at Good B, they stay there, right? Like you've been there for, you've built a career there. You have CDs who have been there for, for 10 years or more. Like what, what do you think makes um, people want to stay? What's like, cause I know, you know, in the agency world, there's so much turnover. There's so many people just looking for the next thing. Like what made you want to stay at, at one place for, for your career? I think for the people who, you know, are working here, there's, there's a like-mindedness amongst the, the people in the creative department. Anyway, uh, we just, we want to do the best work possible. And so we all kind of get behind that and push in the same direction. Uh, I think the culture here is one of the reasons that people stay. 
it's like no other. We hear it over and over again. Uh, we have tons of what I call boomerangs, people that, that leave and then come back because they're like, oh my gosh, I just, the culture wasn't the same. There's no place like it. So it operates a little bit more like a family business than, than a big company sometimes mm. and people like that. Yeah. So I want to talk about some of the creative work that Goodby has been doing for the past year or so. Obviously you guys are known for your big Super Bowl spots and I know you had a lot of success this year with Sam Adams and Cheetos. Talk a little bit about um those two those two campaigns and kind of what went into that as a CCO for you. You know, Super Bowl is a <laughs> it's a thing um all of its own. Super Bowl is a it's like no other. It's the biggest platform. You've got more eyes watching than any other you know, stage during the year. Um, you're talking to everyone. So everyone from tiny little kids to great grandmothers. <laughs> so the kind of work that's successful on the Super Bowl is different than, than maybe the kind of work that you would create for any other time of year. Um, and we've had a ton of, of luck doing it. We, we did a awesome spot for, for Sam Adams um, this year. We also did one for Doritos with um, Jack Harlow and Missy Elliott and Elton John. So ton of fun. We try to let Doritos is a good example because, you know, we're trying to include a little bit of a nostalgia that will, you know, resonate with some of the, the older audience. And then um, you want someone new like Jack Harlow who can, um, talk to a younger, younger crowd. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like, um, you know, like you were saying, the Super Bowl is, it's a different kind of moment. It's that big kind of broadcast sort of moment where you can reach the entire, basically the entire population in, in one 30 second or 60 second spot. But also it's changed a lot, right? Over the years, like the way people watch the game, the things they're doing while they're watching the game. So how has that kind of changed your approach to the game? Well, Super Bowl is the biggest stage. Everyone's watching and the the commercial that you put on the Super Bowl is really important, but it's everything that surrounds it that's even more important. So it's that walk up, right? So how are you going to tease the, the Super Bowl spot? Uh, we usually do that, you know, a few weeks before the spot airs. And then even more important is what uh, is that second screen experience. There are very few people who are just locked in watching uh, the game and watching your commercial. A lot of people are, you know, also on their phones and we've had a ton of luck um, in over the years doing um, a lot of mobile work. So snackable screens is a good example. We did uh, that last year for um, when we did a spot with Megan the Stallion and then we ended up um, dropping a remix of, of push it, which was the song that was in the Super Bowl spot um, onto a Doritos chip. <laughs> so you could watch that, that video right on a chip. So that was pretty, pretty cool. And it was something that we made with our innovation lab, um, and Snapchat. So very proud of that. Innovation is a big part of this place and mm-hmm. something that we're focused on right now. Yeah. I definitely want to talk about innovation, but I guess just to kind of close out the, the Super Bowl stuff, do you feel like because of like, like what you said, it's so much more about what, what you're doing on your phone and like not everyone's fully paying attention to the screen. Like is the investment still worth it because it is still a significant investment for that one spot, right. To buy that actual commercial. 
I think it is because it's the biggest stage and you're reaching more people and more kinds of people than any other time of year. So I think if you do it well, it's worth the investment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about um, innovation. First, tell me a little bit about GSP Labs and how they kind of work with the creative department. GSP Labs is our in-house innovation lab and their you know, charge is to educate the agency about the latest technology. And we're lucky but just because of our proximity to Silicon Valley. We kind of get that first wave of tech uh, as it comes out. We're kind of on the forefront of that. So that's, that's pretty awesome. We have these meetings uh, probably once a month where the labs team gets up in front of the agency and just shows us awesome new technology. And it's inspiring. You know, it's not always something that you're immediately like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to use that on Cheetos (laughs) or I'm going to use that on uh, Xfinity. You, you just kind of file it away as a creative person anyway. And, uh, and then put it in your arsenal and eventually you're like, ah, okay, I'm going to pull out that quiver. <laughs> um, that would be perfect for, for what I'm working on now. Yeah. Well, one interesting campaign that good we did recently is for the Dolly museum. When you used um, Dolly two, I think yes. that's, that's what it's called, right? Dolly two, Dolly three, chatbot four. There's so many of them. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so talk about that and talk about how that was like um, sort of like a different type of, innovation, innovation project for the team. Yeah, it's a great example. A lot of times we will, um, as creatives consult with our innovation lab just to see, you know, okay, is this possible? Would it be possible to, in the case of, of, um, of the dream tapestry assignment for Dolly, would it be possible to type in your, you know, most recent, awesome dream and then have it come to life before your eyes. And um, labs, of course, did a ton of, of tests and simulated what that experience might be like. We had big screens up on um, the fifth floor where, where they sit and you could actually demo it here right in the building before it ever went live um, in Florida at the Dolly Museum. Um, and so we knew it could happen. And then we started working with um Dolly, <laughs> OpenAI, um, to, to bring this Dolly dream tapestry experience to life. And it's just been super, super successful. You walk into the, to the museum, there are, I think it's like five kiosks where people can walk up, type in their dream, and then magically before their eyes, it's projected on this giant, giant screen. And then the really neat thing is that um, then the the dreams of all six of those people are then stitched together and create this one big tapestry in the style of either Dolly or one of the other featured artists at the museum. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. It's super interesting. I'm curious how um, working with technology and, and different, like sort of changing the way you, the, the typical process, right. For how you do creative, how does that change the way that you work at Goodby, like as you sort of incorporate these new technologies into your creative process, what's changing about the actual process? If anything. Well, I think like I talk a lot about firsts here at the agency. I love like doing things that have never been done before. There's nothing more exciting than that, like jumping into the 
<laughs> into the darkness and <laughs> not knowing what's going to happen. There's the, there's a thrill in that. I encourage that here. Um, so I think that they're, you know, with, especially with AI becoming, you know, so popular and so much a part of what we're doing day to day, it just gives you this feeling that anything's possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you, I know, I think you just expressed a sentiment that a lot of creatives have, which is like, I want to jump in and do like something crazy. Like, how do you get your clients on board with that? Like, what did it take, I guess, for the Dolly example? Like, was there any hesitations around that? And how do you kind of talk them into taking that leap with you? I think it's all about relationships that you have with your clients. And if you've done a good job establishing, you know, that relationship, then there's a lot of trust there. And I think clients are a lot more willing to kind of venture into a space that makes them feel a little uncomfortable if they trust that the partner that they're working with is, is going to take care of them, right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to lead them down, you know, a crazy path. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you, when you work with new tools like AI, which is becoming, like you said, very popular in the creative space, like what are some of the sort of like ethical or other challenges you face in terms of like, you know, there's a lot of stuff about copyright loss, particularly from artists. Like, how do you kind of think about these things when you're, when you're trying to push and like be innovative and edgy, and then you kind of have to think about all these like red tape and and different like ethical challenges that might slow things down? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we talk about that a lot here. We have a, um, a a teams (laughs) group, uh, called AI club, um, here at the agency where we're constantly posting all the latest information about AI and copyright infringement is a big part of that. So I think the real answer is we're all, you know, treading with caution, but it's such an exciting space. You want to stay up to date on what's the latest and then see how it unfolds. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, the lawyers are going <laughs> to, the lawyers are going to tell us what we can and can't do. They'll hash that <laughs> I'm out. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess like one, um, another really interesting offering at Good Be is Brand Camp, which I know has been really, um, successful for you guys and a reason a lot of it's been a, a pipeline for a lot of new business and expanded client relationships. What is your role in that process? Like where does creative fit in and how do you feel like that kind of maybe, I mean, maybe first briefly explain what it is and then talk about how that impacts the work you're able to do with your clients. You know, I think more and more clients are looking for, uh, creativity to help them solve real business problems. And so we created GSP consulting to do just that. Um, initially we, prior to consulting, we had uh, brand camp, which was um, a quick sprint that could help clients get to an organizing idea. But what we discovered was that um, clients need a ton of help before they even get to an organizing idea. They need a lot of help uh, internally, like inside the agency, I mean, inside their, their own companies and just kind of preparing to walk up to, to being ready to, to have uh, a little more focus on getting an organizing idea. So anyway, all of that was, uh, is super exciting. We've hired a, 
um, a guy named Eric Solomon to help us run GSP Consulting, and that's been incredibly successful. Um, and it's allowed us to work with a lot of companies like um, Blackstone that has, you know, it's a big portfolio company. I think we have five or six uh, Blackstone brands now, and um, all of those um, have gone through either consulting or brand camp. So what do you feel like it, it sort of enables you like on the creative side to do with them? Like, do you feel like they're ready to do sort of like a big campaign after, or maybe does it, does it help them rethink their scope with, with you? Like talk a little bit about what, what comes out of it. Yeah. I think the great thing about brand camp is that it gets clients to an organizing idea, a real point of view, and then they're ready to start putting things out in the world. And the majority of clients that go through our brand camp do turn into either projects or AOR clients. So we've had a lot of success on on that front. And I think it works because you've got your C-suite execs all in one room with uh, someone from every discipline from uh, our agency. And you kind of you know, are all working together right out of the gate, developing this point of view or this organizing idea. And then at that point, it's like, okay, well, are you just going to go start working with someone else? No, because you've kind of established this rapport and trust Mm -hmm. with the people in the room. So it works. It works really, really well. And is this something that like you pitch? Like, do you do clients hire you for brand campaign to pitch or they hire you almost like a like a six week engagement. And then we can see if we want to keep, keep dating. <laughs> keep dating. Yes. We all like dating. Um, <laughs> it can work either way. A lot of times um, it depends on, you know, where a brand is. A lot of startups can't afford a traditional, you know, AOR big agency, you know, kind of a fee and brand camp's perfect for, for that situation. Um, and then we do it a lot of times for even clients we already have in the building who are just really wrestling with one particular problem. So it can work either way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And then um, I want to talk a little bit about your team, your creative team. Obviously, um, you know, you're a female leader of a creative department, which is not the most common thing, unfortunately, in our in our industry. But how are you kind of using that position to diversify your own team? Like, what do you look for when you hire people? I mean, for me, I look for hunger, I think, <laughs> is, is the main thing. Our recruiter always makes fun of me because I, when I'm looking at portfolios, there's usually like, you know, all of their work. And then there's a tab typically that's like personal. And I always go to that first and look through that. And he's like, this is Zach Canfield. And he's like, why do you always do that? And I'm like, because that's who they really are. <laughs> you can tell what they're really hungry for in that, in that section. And uh, yeah, I think like, I think that's my advice to, to creatives, no matter where they are in their, in their careers, just to stay hungry. Yeah. And you can feel it, especially, you know, when people are starting out, like what, what kind of, what kind of, Fires in the belly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know GSNP, um, you launched the Academy last year, which is sort of like a way to diversify talent beyond people who have their portfolios and their, their ad school credentials. Talk a little bit about that and what, how has that changed the face of your team in particular? 
Um, the Academy is a school that we launched this year. So we've got our first class actually graduating um, in a week, which wow. is incredible. Um, but we, as an agency, we were having trouble recruiting diverse talent for our creative department. And I think it's because we're not only competing with other advertising agencies now, but we're competing with tech companies. We're competing with um, companies that brands that have their own in-house creative departments. So everyone is snatching up all the really talented, diverse um, creatives. And we thought, okay, well, we're going to fix this problem. We're going to start a school. And we're going to make it a tuition-free school. We're going to have the people who actually work here and are successful in advertising teach at the school and teach these students um, the skill of advertising. And it's awesome because a lot of these students um, wouldn't have been able to have afforded to go to one of the you know, super expensive ad schools. And um, it just gives them an opportunity in a, in a career that they probably wouldn't have considered before. Yeah. So what's the first, you said the first class is about to graduate. Like what kind of people have, have gone through the first cohort and how did it go? It's a super diverse class. And um, the hope is that we're going to hire as many of those kids as we possibly can. But you know, not only is it going to change the the shape of our creative department, but we're hoping that it's, you know, a first step in just changing the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. And how many, how many graduates are you going to have? I think we have like somewhere between 15 and 17. Okay. And then is there like a opportunity, there's an opportunity for them to apply for a job afterwards or? Yeah. You know, I, I can talk about one kid that we've already hired. And his story to me is so interesting. He grew up in the Bay Area um, over in Oakland. He is the son of a sign maker. So his whole life, he, you know, helped his dad make signs for uh, different, you know, small businesses, or he was showing me uh, on Friday, like all of these taco trucks that that he had done all the, you know, typography on and on and this kid is so talented. Like his typography is just, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like art. And, um, but the cool thing is, is that he had never, you know, he didn't have any formal advertising or marketing training. He just had raw talent. And so we saw his portfolio and it didn't come out of an ad school. And that was the awesome thing about it because it felt really different from anything else out there. And we knew with that raw talent, if we could just bring him into the agency and, you know, help him develop that talent and make it applicable to, to advertising, he could be a rock star. So we've hired him and, oh my gosh, he is so excited and we couldn't be more psyched to have him here. That's awesome. What can, I mean, I feel like there is, agencies are trying really hard to do new things to bring in different talent, but there still is that sort of like inertia and legacy in how people look at resumes. Oh, do they have a portfolio? Do they have this? Do they have that? Like, what would your advice be to CCOs and creative teams just to like think outside the box a little bit in terms of who they hire? Well, if I were giving advice to a kid, I would say, pay attention to what you're putting in your personal work section because Mm -hmm. people like me are 
be digging around in there to see, okay, what, what was this person really all about? What are they really interested in? So I think it's just as important to, to craft and curate that section as, as any other part of, of your portfolio. And to people looking at portfolios, I would say, think outside the box. I don't know. I, I, I've never been one to study like advertising. I've always been way more interested in things that don't feel like advertising, which may seem kind of funky, but it's I think the that's truth. why you're successful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always tell creatives too that it's really important what you do outside of work, I think, as mm. a creative person. Like, go to museums, go to movies, go to film festivals, expose yourself to awesome art. I'm thinking back to the pandemic and one of the coolest things that happened, there was a guy who um, played for the San Francisco Ballet. He played, he played music and during the pandemic, it was shut down. And in our neighborhood, he would sit out on his porch and play the cello. And I haven't ever really thought about putting cello music on any of our work. But <laughs> after watching a lot of concerts in, in, um, in my neighborhood during that time, I, you know, it's one of those things that you file away and I'm like, oh, maybe we use cello music on this. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just important to, to expose yourself to, to stuff outside of advertising because that's what's going to make all of your work feel different. Yeah. Well, you have to kind of be like a citizen of the world, right. And like understand culture and just be like exposed to things, which I guess I'm curious, like, how do you feel like working from home and working hybrid has impacted creatives? I think it's made creative people even more creative. Hmm. You've had to be resourceful and you don't have the luxury of everything at your fingertips the way that you maybe had in the past. And so it just kind of made everyone a little more industrious. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys back in the office now? Uh, yeah, we're back three days a week. Do so you, we work from home on Mondays and Fridays. Do you feel like that's helped the creative output or like what changes have you noticed? I think everyone likes flexibility and it's given us that flexibility and, and freedom. So, you know, it's not, rigid like it was in the past. Like you've got to be at your desk at, you know, 8.30 AM and, and stay there until 6.30 PM. There's a, it's a little more fluid now. And I think that works with just the reality of people's lives and schedules and especially people who have, who have kids and people that commute. Yeah. Well, I imagine, you know, as a, as a mother who is working her way up the creative ranks, like I'm sure you have a lot of empathy for those working moms and people who just have other responsibilities and I guess need that flexibility work like worked into their day and probably helps them be more creative. Yeah. You know, I think there was kind of this hangover of desktop computers and like, like being tethered to your desk. That's just not really a reality. We're all like, you know, our phones are one of our appendages these days. Like mm-hmm. it's always with us. Right. So it's not like, when you're away from your desk, you're not working, but yes, you are. (laughs) Yeah. Ain't that the truth? (laughs) Um, so what are some like creative either work or trends or things happening in your world that you're super excited about, uh, working on this year? 
I think it's great to use your position to amplify messages that you feel really strongly about. So, you know, for example, um, there are two creative CDs in our department um, that felt really, you know, they had a, a something they really wanted to, to push through um, during the insurrection, January 6th. And there was a lot of, you know, racial injustice happening and, they created a campaign called What If They Were Black? And as an agency, we got behind that idea because it was something that we all felt really strongly about. It was a killer idea. And these creative directors were really vocal about wanting to, to make a difference and put something out in the world that could change the world. Yeah. And I know you've done a couple of things like that too, right? With um, There was the Her Story campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was asked a few years ago to be on a panel at Cannes to talk about, you know, being a working mom and advertising and how do you, you know, handle it all. And I was telling my daughter at the time, who was nine years old, um, about the, the opportunity. And she said, that sounds like a really boring panel. (laughs) (laughs) She was right. It was really boring. And I was like, well, maybe they'd like to hear from you. Uh, from the, from a, a kid, like what it's like to have, uh, you know, a mom that's a chief creative officer. And so we cooked up this idea um, to take a, a panel of CCO moms and their daughters, all different ages, my daughter being the youngest, nine, all the way up to, to 21, and hear from those girls. And we called the panel Daughters of the Evolution. And it was super successful. We took it on the road and, and, uh, did it at the 3% conference and and we did it at Dropbox and we did, we did it a a ton of different places. But, uh, after that success, Vivian, my daughter and I decided to turn that into a nonprofit. And the mission of that nonprofit is to really create a world that our daughters want to live in. And so the first thing that we put out into the world was, um, an AR app called lessons in her story. And it was really inspired by my daughter, coming home one day and saying, you know, I was looking through my history book and all the stories in the book, most of them are about men. Why are there no stories about women in this book? And I thought, you know what, we have an innovation lab in this building and this is a problem that, that we can fix. And so we came up with a super simple um, AR app where you can hover over any picture <laughs> where you can hover over. Can you hear all this? <laughs> Um, we came up with a super simple, um, AR app where you could, a kid can hover over a picture in their history book of, you know, Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or one of the successful men that we all know about. Um, and up comes a story about a woman that you probably have never heard of who did something equally compelling and awesome during that same time. So that's awesome. You have a smart daughter, nine years old. She's already noticing these things. (laughs) She's a good one. She can be a force. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, Margaret, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It was great to talk. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see what Goodby comes out with for the rest of the year. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun talking. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.